Welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. And here's the queen herself, registered dietitian Heather Klug. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. I'm Heather Klug, registered dietitian with the Karen Yance Women's Cardiac Awareness Center. With me today is Bethany DeBrew Adams, our health communications coordinator. Hello, Bethany. Hello, Heather. How are you on this hot, hot day? I am doing well, Bethany. I'm excited to talk about our topics for today. So recently, interesting ones. Yeah. So recently, a couple news articles caught our eyes about the electrical system in our heart, and we thought they would be good to share with our listeners. Right. So much of the time, we tend to talk about the, quote, plumbing issues of the heart, things like reducing blockages. Mm -hmm. But I don't think many people think of, you know, there's actually two parts to our heart. There's the plumbing system and then the electrical system. You're right. Yeah. And the plumbing side gets a lot of attention. Yeah. Yep. The electrical system of our heart is also very important, though. I would say maybe even more crucial to life. I mean, they're both crucial, right? But in order for the heart to squeeze and pump blood, it needs a spark plug or electrical impulse to start a heartbeat. In most people, these electrical impulses work exactly how they should, but sometimes there are issues with the electrical impulses, and these are called arrhythmias. They can sometimes be too slow, causing a decrease in heart rate. This is Mm -hmm. called bradycardia. Other times, the electrical impulses are abnormally fast, leading to a, a rapid heart rate. This is called tachycardia. And sometimes the heart rhythm can also be irregular. I'm sure everybody out there who's ever watched a medical TV show has heard those terms before, the tachycardia and the bradycardia. Mm-hmm. They throw them around a lot on, yeah. on those shows. But I know a little something about bradycardia because I actually have it. Oh, do share. I Okay, so this is kind of a, you know, because my life is a little bit strange when it comes to medical stuff. But um <laughs> Several years ago, I started feeling a lot of like skipping heartbeats. You know that I'm sure you've had that feeling before where all of a sudden you like your heart goes boom, boom, like really big and you notice it and sometimes it knocks the wind out of you a little bit kind of thing. And I, you know, I'd had them here and there throughout my whole life like we all do. But about five years ago, they started happening all the time, like constantly. And I, you know, I got freaked out and at one point I was so scared because I was having some shortness of breath and those skipping heart rates all the time. So I ended up in the ER because mm. I wanted to take our Karen Yant Center advice yeah. <laughs> where, you know, it's better to go and get it checked out and have it be nothing than to, you know, have a heart attack or whatever and, and not know. And it turns out it was not a heart attack, but the ER doc said, I think you should go see a cardiologist because something's happening here, but you know, you just want to get it checked out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, the standard test, I had an echo done. Um, I had to wear a halter monitor for a few days and it turned out that I was having, they call them PVCs or premature ventricular contractions. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like your heart is catching up with itself. Yeah. And this is also the story of my medical life. Most people have them <laughs> when their heart rate speeds up, when they get tachycardic. Yeah. But there's a small portion of people like myself who have them because their heart rate is slower than normal. So I tend to have a slower heart rate. I I don't know if like I'm, you know, related to 
elephants or something that I didn't know oh. about, but <laughs> some other creature with a slow heart rate. But so these PVCs tend to occur when my heart rate is slowing down. So like, it was strange because things like drinking caffeine, which would normally make a tachycardic person feel those skipping beats, mm-hmm. that actually would help me because oh. it was picking my heart rate up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so like, I tend to feel more like in the evening when I'm right about when I'm falling asleep, you know, as your heart rate is normally slowing down. So yeah, so I was put on a little bit of medication, just mostly because they were bothering me. Because again, mm-hmm. they told me most people don't feel these. But of course, I'm not most people. And I felt them all the time. And they were bugging me. So little bit of um, metoprolol, which is, I believe, a blood pressure drug that a lot of people take, but it's also used for this issue as well. And it seems to keep them mostly under control. Yeah, that's my little story. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Well, like Bethany, arrhythmias are often controlled with medication and other lifestyle recommendations. But if the arrhythmias are serious or life-threatening, then devices such as cardiac pacemakers or an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, also known as an ICD, may be needed. Both involve minor surgery in which these battery-powered devices are placed under the skin. Right. So let's review what the pacemakers and ICDs do so people know because this has to do with the news article that we're going to discuss in a few minutes. Yes. So I'll start with pacemakers. Pacemakers help control those abnormal heart rhythms we talked about before. It uses electrical impulses to prompt the heart to beat at a normal rate. It can speed up a slow heart rhythm, slow a fast heart rhythm, and it can coordinate the chambers of the upper and lower heart. Nice. Well, an ICD monitors heart rhythms. So if it senses any dangerous rhythms, it's going to deliver shocks. So this is called defibrillation. I'm sure that's another thing you've probably seen on any medical show where they're like, clear, and they put the paddles Mm -hmm. on somebody. So ICDs are essential for controlling life-threatening arrhythmias, especially those that cause sudden cardiac death. So most new ICDs can act as both a pacemaker and a defibrillator. My dad had one of those after Mm. he suffered a spinal cord injury. So I, that was when I learned about them. I, had, I didn't know that they did both before. And many ICDs can record the heart's electrical patterns and their abnormal heartbeats, which can help doctors plan future treatments. And they can get those remotely. It's one of those that you get like a little strap and you put it on your shoulder and call the doctor and they can like get all the information from your pacemaker, like through this little fancy strap. I know. Technology. It's so very cool, isn't it? Right. So I have a question for you because when we talk about a defibrillator, like often, like I mentioned, we, we think of what we see on TV where they're like, you know, clear and they put the thing on the person and the person like jumps. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing if you have it inside your body, you're probably not going to feel it. Oh no, Bethany, you will feel it. It'll pretty much, oh yeah, it'll feel like you're getting kicked in the chest. So it's not like a mild little tingly feeling either. It's like a big boom. Oh no, you will feel it. In fact, most people who get them put in, that's a big fear of theirs is, you know. Well, I can see why. Yeah, I mean, they're not (laughs) sure. They did not mention that to us with my dad's pacemaker ICD combo. 
I don't yeah. remember that being part of the conversation. No, it's not pleasant, but I mean, it keeps them alive, right? So well, yeah. that's the good it's thing. Better than the alternative. Yeah. yeah. So now we understand how important these devices are. That leads us to the first news article we want to talk about. It's been known for a while now that certain devices and machinery can interfere with pacemakers and ICDs. Pacemakers and ICDs have a magnet mode to allow for safe operation during medical procedures such as MRIs. When a strong magnet is near these implantable devices, the devices switch to magnet mode and normal operations are suspended until the magnet is moved away. A recent study in the Journal of the American Heart Association, now this was just published last week, yeah. so okay. June 2nd, 2021, showed that the new iPhone 12 series of smartphones can interfere with the life-saving function of pacemakers and ICDs. What? Yeah. So, okay. Now, here's my question to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, technology wizard. Oh, yes. I'm so <laughs> such a technology wizard. <laughs> so is it only iPhone 12s or is it older iPhones or is it Galaxy phones? Like, <laughs> no. Okay. So all smartphones can interfere. Okay, with the okay. function of pacemakers and ICDs. That's why they normally tell you, okay, keep them like, you know, six inches or so away from them. But the iPhone 12 series smartphones have built into it an array of magnets around the wireless charging coil, and they're meant to pair with these MagSafe fitted chargers and accessories. It allows the smartphones to charge much faster wirelessly. And then, of course, they connect with all those accessories. Mm -hmm. This recent article showed that these magnets that are used in these new iPhone 12 series phones have such a high field strength that that's why they're even more problematic in causing that interference with the implantable devices. Well, that's not good. <laughs> no. So this basically means that if someone with a pacemaker or ICD would go into a dangerous heart rhythm, like ventricular tachycardia or fibrillation, <laughs> oh, another medical, another ER term, VTAC or fibrillation, then that ICD would no longer be effective, correct? That is correct. The pacemaker situation wasn't as serious. When these new phones were near the pacemaker, the pacemaker would change to what's called asynchronous mode which limits the pacemaker to fixed rate pacing only. Now, the good news here is that once the phones were moved away from the pacemakers and the ICDs, their normal function would resume. So it okay. is mostly temporary, right? If you're holding it near the device, right. it's going to render them you know, ineffective. But if you move it away, then it would go back to normal function. Okay. So I don't want to totally alarm people, but it can be problematic, don't right? Out. <laughs> I mean, it's everybody. it's mostly if it stays near those cardiac devices for a very long period of time. Okay, so basically, the best advice we can give you is if you have if you wear shirts with chest pockets, don't keep your smartphone in your shirt pocket near right. your heart, and if you're a woman, don't put your phone in your bra, although. <laughs> I don't know how today's phones could fit in your bra. I mean, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but but I have seen so. women carry their phones around like that, especially during I, the summer. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it at weddings where brides carry their phone in their bra. You know, so stranger things have happened. But yeah. just 
don't do that if you have one of these devices. Right. And I would add, because where we live, we wear winter jackets because it gets really cold. In most of my winter jackets, there's a zipper pocket that goes <gasps> right over where the heart is. Yeah, and I used, mine too. And I used to put my phone in there. And I swear, now this is just anecdotal. I don't have any definitive proof. <laughs> But I have not done a study. (laughs) But I swear that would affect my heart rhythm because I could feel like palpitations if I would keep it in there for too long. So like when I would walk from, you know, the Carignan Center to the car, I would put it in there so it wouldn't fall. But I I swear that was affecting my heart rhythm. So anyway, if you have those kind of winter jacket pockets, too, where it's right over the heart, especially if you have, you know, uh, if you require, if you have a pacemaker and ICD, I definitely would not put it in there also. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just to be on the safe side. Better safe than sorry. Now, since this study, Apple has changed their advice about the iPhone 12 series saying, and these are their words, to avoid any potential interactions with these devices, keep your iPhone and MagSafe accessories a safe distance away from your device, more than six inches apart or more than 12 inches apart if charging wirelessly. Okay, so... My next question is, what about like your Apple Watch or your Fitbit or, you know, your other wearable tech that goes on your wrist? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I'm sure our listeners were thinking that too, especially because more and more people are using, you know, these fitness trackers and watches. Magnets used in the wristbands of fitness trackers and smartwatches can interfere with implanted cardiac devices too, with possible complications, just like what we talked about. So that includes the ICD deactivation and pacemaker mode switch. So patients should be made aware of this risk. That's why we're talking Mm -hmm. about it and advised to keep their wristbands at least six inches away from their cardiac devices and not to wear them to sleep. Which is interesting because a lot of those also have sleep trackers on them as well. Yeah. So if you do have a, an ICD or a pacemaker, just take them off before you go to bed, basically. Right. right. We want you to keep using them to motivate yourself to exercise and to track your exercise progress. So don't take away that, like we're saying, don't wear them and don't exercise whatsoever. You know, that's right. not what we're telling you, but just keep them away from your cardiac devices as much as possible. That's right. definitely want you to keep exercising, please. Absolutely. Yes. I think this is an important topic for people to be aware of also, since iPhones are very popular with people of all age Mm -hmm. groups, right? From children, teens, to young adults, to older adults. And I think many people think that it's only older people that use pacemakers and ICDs But some children and young adults need these cardiac devices as well due to congenital heart disease. So fun fact, just to share with everybody here, the first totally implanted pacemaker was in an eight-year-old boy named Larry Graves in 1960. Yeah. Wow. 1960 in Boston, Massachusetts. He had congenital heart disease. He actually had a hole in his heart between the two chambers. Yeah. Oh, that is an interesting fact. Because that first pacemaker implantation occurred, like, I didn't know that they had pacemakers that early. Yeah, I I thought this was kind of like a much more recent development, but... Yes, they weren't as sophisticated as the current, you know, pacemakers. I'm I'm picturing something like with a lot of corners and 
bigger than it should be. And yeah, like everything else in the 60s, that was technologically advanced. So let's move on to our second topic. This has a little less to do with technology, but it also has to do with the electrical system of our heart. And that is how alcohol affects atrial fibrillation. So in case our listeners don't know, atrial fibrillation or AFib, as you've probably heard it called, is another type of arrhythmia. It's a more serious type. Mm -hmm. Um, AFib occurs when the upper chambers of the heart, which are the atria, beat irregularly or they can even quiver instead of beating effectively to move blood into the ventricles. So what happens is you get pooling of blood and sometimes clotting of blood because of this. Mm -hmm. And if a clot breaks off and then enters the bloodstream and lodges in an artery leading to the brain, this can cause a stroke. So this makes AFib a very serious condition and something that definitely needs to be monitored and controlled. Yes. And one of the recommendations when people have AFib is to limit alcohol consumption. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> We're always the bearer of good news. I know, right? Oh, so, I mean, it's very timely that this information comes out because we're in summer. Fourth of July is going to be coming up soon. COVID restrictions are being loosened. People, you know, are ready to have their hot back summer. They want to hot get out summer. there. <laughs> yeah, they want to get out there, have drinks with some friends. People are ready to party, Bethany. People are ready to party, <laughs> for sure. So can you explain, can you be the wet blanket here and explain to Aww. the listeners why it is recommended to limit alcohol if you have atrial fibrillation? Yes. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but so- <laughs> it used to happen so often. <laughs> I know. First, research shows that drinking alcohol puts you at a greater risk for developing AFib in the first place. Okay. Okay. Avoiding alcohol completely is the best way to prevent even getting AFib. Okay. Okay. Second, once you have AFib, alcohol can trigger symptoms of the condition, such as heart palpitations. Hmm. So does that mean, you know, I have to ask this, does that yeah. mean that people with AFib should not drink any alcohol at all ever? Well, the good news, not necessarily. Now, of okay. course, each person is different, right? Right. Everyone knows binge drinking or heavy drinking is bad all around, whether you have mm -hmm. AFib or not. And then light to moderate alcohol consumption has shown some benefit in reducing risk for heart disease. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. You right. can check out Cheers for Your Heart. We talked about that last year around mm -hmm. the 4th of July. Yep. Yet, for people with AFib, even one drink of alcohol is too much sometimes. Ooh. A recent research study on people with paroxysmal AFib, also known as intermittent AFib, showed that alcohol intake raised the risk of an AFib event shortly after consumption. Now, we want to mention that this was a small study, but it was a well-conducted study on 100 people with paroxysmal AFib. So, and it should be mentioned, too, that 79% of the participants were men. But Interesting you know, how it was mostly men that wanted to be in an alcohol study. I just want to point shocking. that out. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> it was not definitely an interesting study, and there, you know, there's ramifications for women as well here. So they actually hooked up study participants with an ECG ankle monitor and a transdermal alcohol sensor, and then they followed them for one month. 
and participants were required to press a button that was time-stamped whenever they consumed one drink of alcohol. And I know what people out there are thinking. No, they couldn't lie and not press the button and just try <laughs> to get away with it because that's where my mind goes like right, right away. <laughs> they actually also had to come in for periodic blood alcohol measurements. So it, they were very closely monitored. Yes. And a lot of those real-time self-reported drinking events were associated with about a twofold greater risk of an AFib event in the next four hours. So if they hit that button two times or more, that was associated with a three and a half fold greater risk of an AFib event in the next few hours. And looking at the transdermal alcohol sensor, the level of alcohol detected by those sensors was also associated with, you guessed it, mm -hmm. acute AFib events. Yes. And during the month of the study, 56 out of the 100 participants had at least one AFib episode. Wow. And AFib occurred on a median of five different days. The odds of an AFib event within four hours of drinking was elevated for any drinking event, even just Ooh. one drink. One researcher from the study said these data suggest that alcohol consumption substantially heightens the risk that a discrete AFib event will occur, and therefore the timing and occurrence of AFib episodes are not simply due to chance alone. Sorry, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so the bottom line here is that this study confirms what many doctors tell their AFib patients, and that's that minimizing your alcohol intake can reduce the frequency of AFib events. So if you have atrial fibrillation, be very careful with how much alcohol you drink. Know your limits and stick to them. That's right. So celebrate sensibly. It also goes for everybody else, yes, right? Yes, yes. One last thing to reinforce about AFib to share with all of you. Exercise is especially beneficial to reducing AFib episodes. Researchers have found that among people with AFib, those who are the most fit have the fewest AFib episodes. People oh. with the lowest levels of fitness have more frequent AFib episodes. Studies show that the more you move your body, the more you can keep AFib in check. Look at you. You just did a nice little segue there. <laughs> yeah, you like that? Know, people didn't know you did, but I saw, I saw you coming. <laughs> so that just leads into us talking a little bit and do a plug for our KYC Summer Escapade Challenge. Um, a couple weeks ago, we mentioned it in our podcast, but if you didn't hear it before, we want you to contact us in the Carignan Center and register for our challenge. You can either do it via email or you can stop in if you're in the Milwaukee area, come visit us at the Carignan Center and register in person because we're giving away some bonus gifts if you do that in the month of June. Mm -hmm. You'll track your steps. You're going to enter them into an app and you're going to help us move virtually as a team across the lovely lower 48 contiguous states here in America. So you'll actually be doing all of the exercise and the activity and right. then you input your information into the app and we move along as a group and we want to see how far we get between the first official day of summer on June 21st and Labor Day. It's an 
excellent way to stay motivated to move this summer. That's right. And also check out our video on the KYC Summer Escapade Challenge. That's on our Karen Yant Center YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And if you like what you hear, please remember to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our heart-healthy content. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And as we always say, be the ruler of your own heart. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Queen of Hearts podcast. Our podcast is recorded here at the Karen Yance Women's Cardiac Awareness Center inside Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more heart-healthy tips, info, recipes, and more, visit our website at www.karenyantcenter.org, like us on Facebook at Karen Yance Center, and follow us on Pinterest. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our show and be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, ladies, be ruler of your own heart.